Welcome back to No Idea, the podcast where you have no idea what we're going to talk about and we have no idea how it's going to go. I'm your host, Jenny. I'm so happy to be back and recording another podcast for you guys. And guess what? I have a very special guest on here. And dare I say it, no offense to anyone else who has claimed this to be true about themselves, but I think that Megan is my biggest fan. I am. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's true, actually. (laughs) I just think you've been so encouraging to me since the very beginning. And I think you're one of the few that has listened to probably all of the episodes. They're all just so good and so informative. I just, I love it. It's such, like, I don't know. The, when when you asked me to come and be on a podcast episode with you, I fangirled so hard. I was like, yeah, sure. But I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> but you said when we, when we started this episode, you were like, oh, this isn't very intimidating. You know, this is very laid back. And I was like, yeah, don't worry. Yeah, it's so fun. It's like a phone call. It's great. Mm-hmm. So, Megan, could you introduce yourself to the people? Yeah, so um, I'm Megan. I live in Ohio. I just graduated college um, in the spring, and I got my degree in international studies and Spanish. I would say that I'm very passionate about uh, just social justice, and I also teach Color Guard. I love teaching Color Guard. I've been doing that for about 11 years now. Currently, right now, I work for the public health department in my city, and I am working kind of just being the bridge between non-English speakers and English speakers and helping get a lot of education about like COVID, community events, that kind of stuff to non-English speaking communities. So kind of been doing that. It's been pretty fun. Wow. Uh, I genuinely did not know what Color Guard was until I met you, Megan. Oh my goodness. Well, (laughs) I live in the color guard capital of the world. So everyone knows what it is here. But I I realized that outside of Ohio, not a lot of people know what it is. I had no idea. (laughs) Oh, pun intended. (laughs) Oh, 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 oh. (laughs) Wow, I'm good. Okay. (laughs) Megan, why don't we tell them how we first became friends? You can start it off and I'll add in things as you go. Yeah, so Jenny and I met in El Salvador. Uh, We served under the same ministry, and basically in this ministry, there's a lot of different programs, a lot of different things you can do, and Jenny and I basically did everything, but Jenny did it a year before I did, (laughs) and so it was kind of like looking into the future (laughs) when I saw Jenny, so so we met there uh, in, what year was that, 2017, I think, right? Yep. Yeah. Wow. And I loved the overlap time that we got there because I was coming in and you were there briefly on a mission trip. And then as I was starting to leave there, you came in. So we had like a month overlap there. And then I think I came back for graduation in December. So I saw you again. I just meet you at the most random times. I just love like running into you it never feels like an accident you know what I'm saying yeah exactly it was always every single time we'd see each other I'd be like Jenny please give me wisdom like I don't (laughs) you would just always help me and you were just like the most helpful person ever oh thank you (laughs) I was like here's my experience I hope it helps (laughs) so much wisdom there's so much wisdom in your experiences thank you well I'm glad we had that time together in El Salvador because I think it really informed us and 
helped our hearts just develop a passion towards what we're talking about today, which is that was my drum roll. Can we have a real drum roll? Here we go. Uh, we are talking about immigration and refugee ministry. So right. before anyone turns this podcast off, let me stop you right there. <laughs> we just want to say that this issue can be considered a political issue, which is unfortunate because that's not what it is intended to be. That's not, you know, it wasn't originally a political issue, but it was a biblical issue. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about it. So that's why we wanted to just talk about that today. So Megan, would you mind defining what immigrant, refugee, and seeking asylum is? Yeah, so basically um, a refugee is a person who has fled their own country because they were at risk of maybe a serious human right violation or persecution there. And so basically a refugee is someone that flees their country because their safety was at risk. And so um, a lot of times they leave because they had no other choice. An immigrant is different from a refugee because immigrants will leave their country because they want to work or study or maybe join their family in another country. And other immigrants, they might feel that they must leave because of poverty or political unrest, maybe gang violence that we see a lot in Central America or natural disasters, other serious circumstances like that. And then seeking asylum. So seeking asylum is actually 100% legal in the United States. And someone who is seeking asylum is basically a person who has left their country and is seeking protection from persecution and serious human rights violations in another country. But they haven't necessarily been legally recognized as a refugee. So an asylum seeker is kind of somebody who is waiting to have that official refugee status, if that makes sense. Right. I just want to say, Megan, your Google Doc is so impressive. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So usually when I'm like, okay, let's make notes with someone who I'm interviewing on this podcast, they're like, okay, let me write it in my in my notebook or on a scratch piece of paper. But Megan emailed me a Google Doc and said, I just typed this up. I sent it to your email. Can you check it? (laughs) I I really love Google Docs. Just the queen of organization, really. Yeah. (laughs) So, Megan. Since this issue has been so something that you're so passionate about, how did this issue become something that deeply impacted your heart? So my junior year of high school, I remember my church showing a video of a ministry that they had started to support in Turkey that just helped with Syrian refugees. And seeing that video, I just started crying while watching it. And it was so weird because I was like, why? Like, I, like, I see them play videos like this about other ministries all the time. But like, why am I crying right now? Like, it was just really heartbreaking. And so I got home from church that day and I did so much research. I looked up all the things on the Internet, spent hours doing it. And I just realized that the immigration crisis that I saw in Turkey, it was also happening at our own border in the United States at our U.S. and Mexico border. And so God just continued to break my heart for the issue. And then I started doing missions in Central America with the ministry that Jenny and I met each other at. And uh, I had actually met some people who attempted to go to the United States. They had maybe made it here and were deported or they have a lot of family members there. And just being able to see the living conditions and hearing stories about gang violence and corruption and just seeing firsthand how that impacted my loved ones in Central America 
Um, and even just living in the country, it just made it a lot easier to empathize. And I say empathize and not sympathize because there was never a time where I had to firsthand experience all of those things for myself, but it just became so much more tangible. And so um, in November of 2020, God had called me to McAllen, Texas to start my own immigrant relief ministry down there. And then back in April, God was like, not yet. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, okay, I'll wait. <laughs> yeah, like, ah, I'll wait, I'll wait. So we're just kind of in a waiting season for the Lord to um, fully send me down to Texas and start that up. But um, yeah, I'm just kind of in a season of waiting and trying to learn and understand the situation at our border more. And I've just been meeting and working with a lot of immigrants here in Ohio. Like there's a huge immigrant community in my city, which is just wild. Like I never would have like, it's Ohio, you know? (laughs) Um, And so I like, and I even did my capstone project for my undergrad about the crisis at the border. So um, just a bunch of like random little things here and there, but yeah, I feel like I've just, I've been able to have all these opportunities that God's given me to work with immigrants now and more recently with my job. So it's been really good. Yeah. It's so cool how even some of those experiences didn't take place overseas. You're doing it from home. Yeah, exactly. And it's so many people like think that, oh, well, um, all of these um, undocumented immigrants are coming and, and they're in Texas or in the South or whatever. And like I said, there's so many people in Ohio. Like there's so many, there's just so many people that um, you know, are, are coming to Ohio and coming to other states that you wouldn't even realize. There's a really small town north of me, and there is such a huge Mexican population in this town. Like, you never would have imagined it's in the middle of a cornfield, and there's just like, what? like I know, it's crazy. So you never know. You just kind of have to open your eyes and look around, and you'll see so many people from so many other backgrounds where you live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in Florida, which is, okay, argument I think it is not the South, but it is technically the most Southern point of the United States. Okay, we get it. (laughs) But growing up in Florida, I was surrounded by a lot of families, a lot of students my age in youth group who were from Brazil or from Guatemala or from Cuba and just a lot of places like that. And their families were actually in the process of getting a green card or becoming citizens or trying to get legal and so I was always surrounded by this immigration and refugee issue but I didn't experience it firsthand obviously but I was just always aware that it was going on and then when I went to El Salvador I was 18 when I went there had just turned 18 so I met all these you know wonderful people and became friends with a lot of my my classmates down there and people were doing ministry with. And then I remember one time one of my friends asked me like, who did I vote for in the United States election? And I obviously was not old enough at that time that the election happened to vote. Mm -hmm. So that's what I told him. I said, I couldn't vote, but (laughs) I just realized like the issues that my family, um, the United States was voting on was issues that directly impacted his family directly. Mm -hmm. It was just crazy, and I just hadn't even thought about it like that before. And then my sophomore year of college, I took a wonderful class that was called Welcoming the Stranger, literally the best class I have taken in my schooling career ever. (laughs) But I had the most amazing teacher, and she just worked in refugee ministry and taught us what the Bible says about the issue, 
And she honestly answered questions I didn't even know I had. So it brought a greater perspective that I, I still have my notebook. I literally have it right here next to me, the notebook I had from that class. I love that. It's just such a major issue that's around us. And we just, we don't even think about it sometimes. Right. Yeah. So Megan, I would love it if you spelled it out for us. There are a lot of people listening who really aren't impacted by this issue. So why should we care about our immigration system or refugees at all? Well, most importantly, I think we need to realize that the crisis that is happening, not even just in our country, but like in the United States, but also just in so many other countries in the world that there's so many displaced people that it's a biblical issue. It's not just a political issue, but it's definitely something that as Christians, we should care about. And so for Christians, obviously, our ultimate authority is the Bible. Uh, but probably every Christian is guilty of adapting certain verses to fit their own opinion and narrative and has neglected to look to the scriptures as our main authority when it comes to forming our views towards immigrants and immigration. So we can look at the Bible and we see so many stories. For example, Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. David flees the violence of King Saul and he has to seek asylum amongst, I think it was the Philistines. And Daniel and his friends are exiled from their homeland and end up serving a foreign government. And even Jesus, like as a small child, you know, was forced to flee and had to um, escape to Egypt as a child refugee when Herod's obvious jealousy was threatening his life and the lives of all baby boys in Bethlehem. And so saying that, I I do hear the argument a lot. Jesus was a brown immigrant, which is 100 percent true. There's no denying that. But it is important that we remember that focusing on Jesus's humanness takes away from his godliness. So social justice gospel can be dangerous in that aspect, because while it focuses a lot on the humanness of Jesus, we also forget that he was also God at the same time. And so I don't know, we look at that. We can also look at so many other Bible verses. I actually wrote some down here in my Google Doc, (laughs) but there's one in Deuteronomy. There's actually a lot in Deuteronomy, but one is Deuteronomy 10, 19. And it says, you shall also love the stranger for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Uh, There was some in Leviticus. There was, I mean, Matthew 25, 35 says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And uh, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible itself is Hebrews 13, one through three. And I wrote it down and it says, let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. And I just think as Christians, it's so important to be able to empathize with people and to understand that, you know, maybe we don't have to understand completely what someone is going through, but ultimately God calls us to love one another. And I think doing that uh, in helping people, um, whether that be emotionally or spiritually or physically is so, so, so important in our um, call and walk with the Lord. That's exactly right. And it's so easy to think like, oh, let me read the Bible like Jesus was in Texas in 2020. Right. (laughs) And there's just so many things that we can do while we're here at home because our love for people does not, it's not supposed to stop when people from other countries come into our country and we can't just reserve our love for a week-long mission trip to a different country for a while. And then you come back and what do you do when you're home? 
Exactly. What would you say are types of factors that influence people's opinions of immigration? I would say some factors that kind of help form people's view of immigration. I really think the biggest one is just where you're located. Because like we had mentioned earlier, you know, Jenny, you being in Florida and me being in Ohio growing up, we have two completely different experiences when it comes to meeting other immigrants, meeting refugees, and all of that kind of stuff. So I think really it, it's the exposure that someone has unwillingly. But for me, obviously, now that, you know, this is something that the Lord has given me the passion to, I'm kind of looking for exposure um, in Ohio. And so I think really the biggest one is just location and how willing a person is to put themselves out there to see the other kinds of people in their community that's different from them. Um, I think another one is also just the people that you surround yourself with. You know, it's a lot easier as humans to see people that look like us, act like us, have the same beliefs as us, and kind of flock towards those kinds of people. But, you know, when we kind of get out of our comfort zone and go towards people that aren't like us, so we can learn from other experiences that are are not like our own, you know, then it, it'll kind of help us have a broader aspect. So I really think the biggest factor in just forming your your opinion on immigration really just depends on how willing you are to step out and learn from other people and learn from other people's stories that are outside of the media, but actual people, you know, and also just where you're located and where you've grown up, because some of those uh, factors, they can either be controlled or they aren't controlled, you know? Right. Yeah. When we look at media, we just hear numbers. We don't hear or see faces. We don't hear, you know, cries of people who are going through this journey to to become legal, to get to a safe place. We just hear numbers on a screen. So it's just not the same. Exactly. There are several myths of immigration that we hear repeatedly here in the U.S. And so we made a little list of them. I would love it if I just listed them off and then you say why it's a myth, why it's not true and correct us and say what the truth is about about these myths that are going around. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay. <clears throat> Number one, won't the immigrants take all of our jobs? Uh, no, they will not. <laughs> so immigrants are typically attracted to growing regions. And so they increase the supply and demand sides of the economy once they're where they decide to locate to. And so expanding employment opportunities is something that they do in in helping our economy because obviously with the more people that are there, um, the more jobs that are needed. So I'm not I'm not an economics person at all, but I feel like that's kind of basic common sense, you know, that the more people that are there, the more employees that are needed. In their job search, immigrants are likely to compete more directly against other immigrants. So it's not like they're coming here and um, trying to like say, look at these jobs that all of the people in the United States are going after. I want to take them all. You know, like that is not something that happens. Right. <laughs> um, most of most most immigrants, especially when we're talking about undocumented immigrants, it's a lot harder for them to find jobs just because you know of their status. It's it's because there's a lot of tax forms and all that kind of stuff that they have to go through. So a lot of undocumented immigrants are having to come and compete against other jobs that other undocumented immigrants are um, looking for. Right. Good point. You ready for number two? I'm so ready. 
So if we let immigrants in, won't they abuse the welfare state? No. So most documented immigrants do not have access to means-tested welfare for their five years here in the United States, with a few exceptions that are mostly determined on the state level, as well as that being funded with state taxes, not federal taxes. And so that means that undocumented immigrants don't have access at all. And I think the only thing that they would have access to is emergency Medicaid. Wow. So they really don't have access to much, even if they are documented. Yeah. Yeah. It, it takes, I think, I think where I read it was about five years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number three. Here we go. This one's a big one. Aren't immigrants a major source of crime in this country? They really are not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to burst your bubble, but they're not. Sorry, guys. They're, they really aren't. Um, just because they flee violence doesn't mean they bring it with them. So immigrants are actually less likely to be incarcerated for violent and property crimes. And cities with more immigrants and their descendants are actually more peaceful when you look at certain statistics. Uh, I got these off of the Pew Research Center, so I'm not just pulling these out of like my brain. But, yeah. <laughs> um, some immigrants do commit violent and property crimes, but overall, they're less likely to do so. Gotcha. All right. Number four. Doesn't letting immigrants into this country increase the risk for terrorist attacks? No, it does not, because immigration does not correlate with terrorist attacks. And the risk of being murdered in an attack committed by a foreign-born terrorist is also a lot smaller um, than it is by a domestically-born terrorist. So I actually did look up just some statistics about uh, that myth that immigrants pose a risk of more terrorism in our country and i saw that the annual chance of being murdered in a terrorist attack committed by a foreigner from the years 1975 through the end of 2015 was about one in 3.6 million per year so it's very small it's, it's a very small risk i feel like <laughs> that just it doesn't make a good argument right exactly and then this is the last one but it's probably the biggest one why don't immigrants just come legally Oh my gosh. I, uh, not again. <laughs> uh, not again. No. So that's what immigrants want to do. I feel that, I mean, if anybody would want to come to a new country, the best way to do it would to be doing it legally. Except seeking asylum in the U.S., it isn't illegal, like I had mentioned earlier. And 70% of the people at our border come and attempt to legally cross and to legally come in and seek asylum. However, there just aren't enough government officials at the border to process all the people that are coming in. And that's why so many people attempt to cross illegally, because there's not enough people on our end to process the amount of asylum cases that are coming through. Right. For example, I I know somebody a few years ago, they had just gotten their citizenship test and they came here not even from latin america they came here from i think the philippines when they were five years old and they were 25 when they got their citizenship wow it's it's just it's so much time it's so long it's so hard and so many people do try to come here legally but like i said it's just not enough government officials not enough people at our border processing them Right. It's not like they intend to maliciously come and say, I'm going to steal all their jobs. And then step two, I'm going to come illegally. 
I don't think that's going through most people's minds as they want to start a new life to get away from danger and to have a better life for them and their children. Yes, exactly. And I've like I've heard sayings of people just in documentaries and some of the research that I've done that it's better to risk their life in the journey up here knowing that they died trying to escape the situation that they're in rather than just staying in the dangerous situation that they were in. Wow, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. So talk us through some of the dangers that refugees can face when they're going through the journey of migration. One of the most heartbreaking things that I learned in my research was just the amount of sexual assault that happens and the sexual violence that happens just on the journey, not even what they're escaping, but on their way up to the United States from Central America. We're speaking specifically about that. Six out of 10 migrants experience sexual violence on their journey. And many of those cases were done by either police or gang members on the journey up. And so there's no consistent or stable system where women can actually safely report these assaults without risking deportation. And so because of that, most cases of sexual violence just go unreported. And in that in itself, it just results in a huge lack of accountability and justice in just for the women that are that are facing all of this. I think another one that a lot of people might have seen in the news is the system of trains that go through Mexico. They call it La Bestia, like the beast. Um, I've also heard like La Tren de la Muerte, like the train of death. And so um, they travel at really high speeds and there's no railings or anything to hold on to them because they're not meant for people to ride, you know? And so um, this will result in a lot of people falling off. A lot of people will die or get amputated because of these trains. And so that in itself is really, really dangerous. We can even look at when people actually do get to the border. And so there's obviously we've seen the wall and that in itself was a really very big political issue um, within the past few years. And so even though this wall is really tall, many people are still able to climb over it. And so the reason for this being due to terrain and border complications between um, Mexico and the United States. And so there's a lot of different terrains that exist between the two countries, um, that being like deserts. There's I think there's like a giant um, national park somewhere in the middle that has just like a lot of cliffs and mountains and stuff. And then um, obviously we hear stories all the time of people drowning in the river that separates our countries. And so. Um, there's just a lot of different um, aspects in the terrain between our two borders that just make it really dangerous for people to come across. There's also a lot of migrant camps on the Mexican side of the border that people will stay in until they can either find a smuggler to help them across the border or while they're just waiting to get their case processed on the United States side. And so these migrant camps, people live in really harsh conditions. They live in tents with no doors. There's no running water. There's no electricity. There's a lot of immigration raids and arrests that happen. And drug cartels and gang violence is just rampant amongst these um, communities. And so they will take advantage of a lot of the migrants that are there. And there's some cases where they'll have to recruit people. And so it just only worsens the the dangers of the regions in Mexico on on the border towns. And so... We can talk about that. We could get into detention centers and family separation if we wanted to. Um, And even 
in the news recently, we've seen that there's a lot of Haitians that are coming because people have said that it's the easier way to get into the United States. And so they had faced, um, I think they faced like a seven something earth, like magnitude earthquake in their country. And then their president was assassinated earlier this summer. And so there's a lot of people from Haiti that are coming in too, that are just having to risk their lives and all of this too. So it's just, it's, thinking about it is so heartbreaking because so many people have to flee really dangerous and uncertain circumstances only to encounter even more dangerous and uncertain circumstances, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like they risk certain death for probable death. Thank you for sharing all that because you're right. We could talk, we could talk about just that for literally days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's say someone's listening and they're saying, okay, I hear you guys. I understand this is a real issue and I just don't know how to continue from here. How am I supposed to help the foreigner while I'm here in the States and at home? What can we do to practically care for the foreigner while we're just here at home? Yeah. So I think the most Christian answer (laughs) um, I could say is to pray, honestly, just that the Lord would break our hearts for what breaks his, you know, like, (laughs) Jesus, like we had mentioned earlier, Jesus was an immigrant um, that had to flee persecution from from where he was born. And, you know, so I think Jesus is really able to sympathize with those, you know, but also the fact that that like these immigrants, these people that are fleeing their countries and everything, they're also the Lord's children. They're also of God. They're his creation just as much as we are. And so I think the biggest thing that we could first do is to just pray and ask the Lord to break our hearts so we are able to understand and have compassion towards immigrants that are coming here. I think another one that we could do if we want to be even more proactive outside of praying is to have open conversations with people that, you know, maybe don't have the same background as you, people that are immigrants or come from families who had to flee their countries. I think that the best way that we can learn is through other people's experiences and being willing to listen and not judge or condemn or even just kind of come at it with a negative point of view, but having these conversations and going at them by saying, okay, what can I learn from this person? Um, This person that has had an experience that I haven't had. You know, it's really easy for us to just kind of assume how they feel. But um, in reality, leaving everything that you know to go to a place that has a different language, different food, different lifestyle, different way of interacting with people, it is so, so difficult. And so just being able to have an open heart and an open mind to be able to listen and genuinely try to understand other people that are not like us is such a good way to understand the entire crisis that is happening not only in the United States but also in other parts of the world right that's really good and there are a lot of people who just from lack of exposure or other reasons just do not have a loving compassionate heart towards immigrants or refugees of any type Mm -hmm. so how can we have loving conversation with someone who says demeaning comments about immigrants I think the biggest thing that people who have those comments, and I think anyone in general, um, what they want is to be heard. You know, we all want to be heard in our opinions and um, in the things that, you know, 
people who have these comments, a lot of times people just are genuinely concerned. You know, they've exposed themselves to people that have told them otherwise that have kind of helped them form their own opinion. And so I think the biggest thing with people who are having these comments or saying these comments, the biggest thing that we can do is actually listen to them, even if we, you know, don't agree with them or what they're saying. Um, I think just having the mutual respect of, first of all, sitting down and just listening to what they have to say and trying to hear why they believe what they do believe. But in that, um, replying just with a, a sense of love and grace and, and compassion and doing it. And, and it's so cheesy, but we, we say it all the time is what would Jesus do? Like, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus think? And so that's really important. But, you know, in that, I think it's also extremely necessary to educate people, you know, with if, if you feel so inclined to do so, but like go and, and look online, look at people's stories, go watch videos on YouTube of some of the things that we've talked about. Um, you could go and just kind of reach out to other people and just get their input on things. And so just kind of providing other stories, other opportunities, other resources for people that maybe think differently than you in um, when we're specifically talking about immigration. But I think really this could go for like anything at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I think that it is important to just be able to present a counter argument in a way that is graceful and in a way that is respectful to the other person. I think ultimately people just want to be heard in their opinions. And so when we sit down and genuinely listen to somebody and their concerns, they're more likely to listen to what you have to say in a counter argument. And it'll give them the ability to understand more the entire situation. Yeah, that's really good. And as I sit in front of my notebook that I took notes in from welcoming the stranger class. <laughs> um, I'm opening to the page that says, how can we help open people's minds and build bridges? And the main things that they wrote, I remember this statement very clearly from that class. They said, thank the questioner for their question, even if it feels like an interrogation. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was so powerful. Like saying thank you if they ask you some kind of question like, why do you care (laughs) or aren't they just going to steal our jobs you know thanking them for that question thank you for being curious that gives you a breather to think about what you're going to say first of all and not respond in a mean way but also you know they took the time to to ask you a question and you're just trying to be a bridge builder and responding in a mean way or an impatient way isn't going to help change their mind at all wow I love that it is God who changes hearts. All we can do is, you know, ask people questions and we can just love our neighbor and that will be a testament in and of itself. It also says in my notes, <laughs> I'm just reading from it now. It says facts, faces, and future. So facts would be, well, actually, that's not true. It, the statistics actually say this, regardless of what media has said at the time, just stating what is actually true about the situation. And then faces, a lot of people say demeaning things because they have never actually had a friendship, relationship, anything with an immigrant. And I know that if, you know, you have a friend who immigrated here from a different country, your friendship is genuine. You're not going to want to see them deported. And the mean comments that you say about immigration in general would probably change as soon as you have a friend who has immigrated. And then future would be like forward thinking. So just saying, 
if this is what you want, this is what would actually end up happening here at home. Just putting A and B together to help them think about what they're actually saying out loud would really help. But just responding in love will always, it'll always soften people's hearts. And that's ultimately God's job. So the pressure's off of us, which is great news. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Megan, I cannot begin to thank you enough for being on this podcast and talking about such an important issue that that we all deal with in one way or another because it's all around us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just really grateful that, you know, you're using your platform to talk about things that make people uncomfortable sometimes, but are so, so, so necessary to talk about. So thank you for inviting me. Of course. Anytime you can bring you and your Google Docs on. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'll make you all the Google Docs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you guys for listening. Go ahead and take something that we said Write it down in your journal and apply it to your life in some way. Just continue to ask questions about this issue. And we're thankful that you decided to listen today. So this is Megan and Jenny signing off. No Idea Podcast. See you around.